And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here on Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me today in the studio is the Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York. Happy holidays, Dan. <laughs> Just kidding. Merry Christmas, Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And Dr. Hans Vogt, Associate Professor, Ulster County Community College. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Hey, fellas, it's great to have you here. You know, uh, coming up is uh, Christmas um, less than one week from today. And um, one of the questions on our agenda today uh, concerns the first advent of Jesus and what was his influence as he came into the world? What was his influence on this world? And are there historical examples that you gentlemen have as you consider the coming of Messiah Jesus into this world? I know it's a rather large question, a big question, lots to cover. And um, so let's begin. And uh, who would like to start first? Well, I think when you look at Jesus, that is really quite an interesting question because here he is. If you look at him just purely from a human standpoint, he's born a carpenter's son, a carpenter's son of really no account at all. He's uh, not a church leader. He's not a political leader. The followers that he have are a ragtag group of what we would call blue-collar workers. And so how on earth do you go from there to being the most influential individual in all of history. Yeah, really. When we look at uh, the two accounts uh, that we have in the Gospels, uh, they really do emphasize those humble origins. And uh, I think in in particular of uh, the uh, song or prayer that Mary sings uh, or prays when she visits her cousin Elizabeth, where she praises uh, God for the fact that he exalts the humble. Uh, and that he he cast down the proud, and and certainly she sees herself as one of the humble who is uh, who's being exalted here. Well, I know that uh, Christians this time of year are very excited. We uh, repeatedly look forward to the coming of Messiah Jesus, knowing full well that he's come, but it's just a, a time of anticipation as we play out in our minds, as we read the scriptures, review. Uh, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ into this world is just a wonderful time. One of the uh, issues, of course, that comes up when we talk about this is uh, why we choose December 25th. And, yeah, why uh, do we do that? <laughs> <laughs> the, neither because a birth certificate says it on it, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> because all the, all on the banks file are with closed. the Roman authorities in Bethlehem, yes. No. <laughs> um, My calendar, it says all the banks are closed, so it's got to be the 25th. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know, of course, what the actual day was. Neither Matthew nor Luke's gospel records um, if Jesus and the apostles celebrated his birthday, they didn't bother to record when that was or, or pass it down. Uh-huh. Um, when you look at the early church, I mean, the different early church fathers had different uh, dates they came up with. Some thought it was in March, mm-hmm. uh, in April, in May. Uh, some tried to line it up with when they thought uh, God had created the sun, uh, mm-hmm. which meant that he had to be, uh, at least one of the church fathers said, well, then it must have been um, on a Wednesday that he was born, because that was the fourth day that God created the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, the The actual date of December 25th, it's not entirely clear, but uh, there seems to be good reason to believe that it was chosen to coincide with the Roman holiday 
of hmm. Natali Sol Invictus, that is, the birth of the unconquered sun, S-U-N, in uh, an attempt to turn the pagan celebration of the S-U-N into the Christian celebration of the incarnation of the S-O-N. Oh, yeah, kind of a transformation. Right. Yeah. We see that, I believe, there's also a, a celebration at that time of the Mithra cult. Right. And uh, they also had... Uh, had one, and and so we see how the the Christians were trying to take this and and transform it. Of course, Origen said we shouldn't celebrate this at all because we don't want to follow the pagans. Mm-hmm. But some of the other Christians were saying, well, let's let's take this and use this as almost a kind of an evangelistic type of uh, opportunity, similar to what Paul did in Acts chapter seventeen when he was in Athens and he saw the statue of the unknown god, and he says, "I'll tell you who that unknown god is." Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so we have a similar kind of response there. So uh, it wasn't uh, entirely evident to some of the early Christians that um, it was even appropriate to celebrate uh, the birth of Christ. Well, in the eastern part of the empire. Um, in Asia Minor and, and Palestine and Egypt, um, the tradition developed of celebrating both Jesus' birth and his baptism on Epiphany, mm-hmm. or January 6th. Okay. Um, and it took the Eastern Church a few centuries before they adopted the Western Church custom of December 25th. Mm. Um, and in fact, I believe the Armenian Church still celebrates Epiphany as both Christ's birthday and his baptism. We, of course, in the West celebrate Epiphany not as a celebration of Christ's baptism, but rather as the coming of the Magi. Magi, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. There was also, I I believe, one of the the fathers looked at March the 25th as the date of his conception. If I can remember correctly, it was the date of his death, which also they felt coincided with the date of his conception. They backed it up, and that becomes December 25th. So, Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of speculation, but in all likelihood it was because of the pagans. But again, we have no record, certain record, of a celebration of Christmas within the Christian church before the 3rd or 4th century. Hmm. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah, really not until the 4th century does it seem to become widespread. Yeah. So do we have um, good cause? Do we have freedom um, as Christians to celebrate the birth of Christ? Well, that I think we do. If you look at the Puritans, uh, even Oliver Cromwell, I believe he banned the celebration of Christmas. He banned it. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. he banned it. And, and it, of course, it was banned in the colonies, I know when the pilgrims, the very first Christmas that they celebrated, the Puritan pilgrims went out and worked. And there was a segment of them that were, you know, still with the old Anglican church. And they said, well, no, this is Christmas. We want to celebrate. So they said, okay, okay. you cel- celebrate at home. We'll go out and work. They came back at noon and found out that their celebrating wasn't pious prayers and, mm-hmm. and, and services, but it was playing games, and they said, okay, that's enough. You're coming out and work with us in the afternoon. Well, that was only because there were no football games on that's, TV That's back right. That's, uh, that's right. You guys have uh, football games. <laughs> but it's true. Uh, the Puritans in Massachusetts, for example, in the colonial period, um, had a law that anyone who was caught celebrating Christmas would be fined five shillings, uh, which yeah. was a fairly yeah. substantial sum of money in the yeah. 1600s. Well, I'm looking at the clock here, gentlemen. I see we're just about coming up on a break. And uh, today we're studying and reviewing, talking about the first advent of Jesus and the influence of his coming upon this world. 
We've taken a few moments to look at the actual celebration of Christmas. And um, when we come back, we'd like to extend the discussion into talking about how uh, the gospel is spread, how it has influenced people and changed their lives. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And also a quick reminder that if you ever would like to submit a question for a plain answer, you can now use our toll-free number, and that is 888-724-4427. And just leave your question in mailbox number two, and you will hear yourself come over the air um, when we cover that topic in a future A Plain Answer program. Stay with us now. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. He rules the world with truth and grace And makes the nations prove The glories of His righteousness And wonders of His love And wonders of His love And wonders, wonders of His love Sing, 
And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Today we're looking at the first advent of Jesus and his influence upon this world. We talked a little bit in our previous segment about uh, some folks early on who didn't think it was appropriate to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And Mark, during the break you had a quick comment, so why don't we pick it up right here. Well, I was just going to say uh, that uh, obviously we as Christians have freedom to celebrate or not to celebrate. This is not a a Mm -hmm. mandated holiday in the scriptures, Mm -hmm. and we have freedom to celebrate it. Now, of course, some people may choose not to celebrate it because of that figure Santa Claus and the there association in associations okay. with Santa Claus and St. Nicholas and, and and of course a lot of Christians don't even have that as part of theirs but mm-hmm. of course uh, that tradition has been distorted a little bit too hasn't it Hans it has uh, we don't know a whole lot about Nicholas of Myra mm-hmm. other than that he was bishop of Myra in the early uh, 300s he died sometime either 345 or 352 A.D. Um, He's a very popular saint uh, in both the Orthodox and and also in the uh, Western Church. We know that uh, he is credited with numerous miracles. Um, He is actually the patron saint of uh, several countries, uh, Greece, Russia, uh, parts of Italy, uh, and some of the states in, in Germany, the Netherlands, and so forth. Hmm. Um, but his feast day, uh, traditionally in the church calendar, is December 6th. And it's actually on December 6th in the Netherlands that St. Nicholas comes and supposedly delivers presents to children. Oh. Um, does he it, come down the chimney? He does not. Oh, okay. They mm-hmm. leave wooden shoes on their doorsteps, and he rides uh, down the yes. street and puts the present in the wooden shoe. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, it's in America that we have uh, sort of conflated the legends about Nicholas of Myra with Santa Claus, who comes more from the German and, and Norse tradition. Mm. And it was, of course, uh, an advertising campaign for Coca-Cola that gave us our, <laughs> our modern notion of Santa Claus as the ah. jolly fat guy in the red suit. Yeah, right. Mm. Well, I see here, uh, Mark, you sent an article to us prior to this session today, and Uh, One of the quotes here was that Western Christians first celebrated Christmas on December the 25th in 336 after Emperor Constantine had declared Christianity the empire's favored religion. Yeah, that's when it was the first official celebrations. Of course, that was very shortly after Christianity became the official and safe religion in the empire before mm-hmm. that it was persecuted especially just prior to mm-hmm. uh Constantine taking over and mm-hmm. what was it 315 after the battle of Milvian bridge prior to that uh there was a tremendous amount of persecution mm-hmm. there's some speculation that one of the reasons for fixing the date on December 25th was to try to take all these pagans who were suddenly coming into the church now that it was sort of the officially recognized religion in the empire um and Many people were joining the church for political or social reasons yeah. who had not actually been converted. Yeah. Um, and therefore, it was the, the church had a problem. We, we have to teach these people yeah. who are flocking to us now uh, for secular reasons what we believe and what is necessary for salvation. Mm-hmm. And, and in that sense, I think perhaps Christmas became a, 
a teaching tool, as you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, Mark. Right, right it was. And it, it was pointing out that the sun who came and was born is the creator of the sun we see, and that these pagans had worshipped so much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, of course, when we look at that, we see the tremendous influence of Jesus Christ in history. I mean, we have B.C., and, and of course now it's BCE before the common era which grinds me but oh, yeah. you know it oh, always yeah. has been before Christ <laughs> and and then of course it was Adiano Domine and uh, that center is not just a, a center of history in in kind of a time sense but it's it's a real center of of history because apart from Christ we're alienated from God yes Yes. And, and that's why it's so significant, because of the person who was born. That gets to the heart of it. He's, he's the true God-man. That's right. Now, uh, as Christ comes, um, he affects people's hearts. And as their hearts are converted to him, they start wanting to obey him and do good works, the works of God, obey the law of God. Coming back to our original question now, gentlemen, can we think of examples where the message of the gospel has come to a village, to a group of people, and there's been changes. Well, there are numerous, numerous examples throughout history. Um, One that comes to my mind, um, because this is actually the 20th anniversary of it, is 20 years ago in 1989, Mm -hmm. uh, as the nations of Eastern Europe were finally overthrowing the communist governments that have been in place since the end of World War II. Um, particularly in Romania, uh, that mm. effort was related to the Advent and Christmas season. Mm. Um, and it, it really began um, in a community known as Timisoara, where um, the government tried to come and take away their pastor. Mm. And the people of Timisoara gathered around that church in, in the square and, and kept up a vigil to try to protect mm. their pastor. And as news of that spread, other communities began also rising up. And this was not just political protest, but uh, these were Christians who were prostrating themselves in prayer for hours, Mm. uh, not relying on human strength to overthrow this government, but begging that God would overthrow uh, and and recognizing that ultimately, you know, without him, we can do nothing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, you you see that you you go back uh, to Ireland in in the 1860s. You have another one where you have tremendous awakening, and as you said, it, it it's just people praying, and it started with a with a prayer meeting at the Holgill Presbyterian Church in the county of Ulster, and it it fomented what was called the Ulster Revival, mm-hmm. and it just swept through this area, and it transformed these people's lives. In such a way that it transformed their actions, everything that they did. The situation was that the jails became empty. Mm. There were no criminals. The judges didn't have cases to adjudicate because there was no crime in, the, in that whole area. The, the pubs shut down. 95% of the gambling ended, you know, and, and it was just a tremendous transformation of the lives of the people. You really got me thinking, you know, uh, I've got a simple mind, I guess. I heard you say the word Ulster, and I know you're referring there to Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> and here we are in the county, county of Ulster. County of Ulster. Would, I would love uh, to see it. That's why I, you know, I love this. 150 years later, 
wouldn't it be great if uh, the Lord would have mercy on us yeah. and send a, send the same a complete revival and reformation of our area, people turning to Jesus Christ, lives being changed, and uh, the county being yeah. better for it. Of course, your son would be out of job. That's right. He's a corrections officer. I, I would love to see him be out of a job if that's what we're talking about. Oh, my. Yes. Now, you've uh, seen other changes on the mission field. I think uh, you have an example of your son uh, being yeah. a missionary pilot. Yeah. He he comes into a lot of these tribes, these primitive tribes mm-hmm. in, in, the, in Brazil. In many ways, they're still primitive. Mm-hmm. But uh, Christ has, has so transformed their lives. Many of these groups were killing each other. They, mm-hmm. they literally were killing each other mm-hmm. uh, back and forth. And, and when Christ came and transformed their lives, they quit killing each other. Yeah, and instead uh, looked to, to spread the gospel to to other groups. You mm-hmm. know, it's just tremendous transformation that has mm-hmm. occurred mm-hmm. among these people. It's easy for us to get discouraged in our day and age. You know, with the financial problems, and um, we see some a couple of wars being executed. Uh, it's easy to get discouraged and get our eyes off of Christ and not see the tremendous transformation mm-hmm. that he affords the people of this world as as he converts them, as their faith and trust is placed in him. Uh, you know, as we segue back into uh, this second part of our program today, we played the song Joy to the World, and it's it's an old hymn by Isaac Watts. I wanted to read just a few of the lines of that hymn. It says, Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. Uh, another verse says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And then this one, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Mm-hmm. You know, the love of God transforms people's hearts so that they want to do the right thing in accordance with the law of God. Yeah. And that, I think, is really the value in celebrating Christmas, uh, mm-hmm. is that you are celebrating the incarnation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are celebrating God taking on human flesh, breaking into human history mm-hmm. to decisively change it, uh, mm. to, to decisively change individual lives, mm-hmm. but also to ultimately restore creation, as, as Isaac Watts yeah. talks about there. Yeah. Uh, and, and that ultimately is, we are waiting for that ultimate fulfillment, right. as Paul says, all creation groans in anticipation mm. of it. It does. Yeah. And but it, thank God it, it, we have glimpses here and there of, of uh, smaller transformations where sometimes whole towns are converted to Christ. Yeah, it is. makes a difference. A tremendous tra- transformation. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who said, the Son of God became man so that men could become sons of God. <laughs> and and uh, that's true, and, and we become sons of God. And as you point out, the transformation is great because, you know, what do the Christians do? The Christians are in the lead in terms of, of mercy ministries. I remember just a number of years ago, and I can't remember which hurricane it was, but I think it, it was a hurricane that just nailed Jamaica, just leveled it. Mm. And um, 
as you are, Dan, I'm a ham radio operator, and mm-hmm. at that time, especially a shortwave listener, mm-hmm. and I was listening on the shortwave to hear who was getting in there, and, and of course, the first plane, when they cleared the, the, the Kingston runway in Jamaica, the first plane was probably one of our Air Force C-130s. Mm-hmm. The very next plane in was a C-130 with the Salvation Army. <laughs> the Salvation Army was right there. Mm-hmm. Ready to to, to to lend aid, and I think that's the way the Christians have been throughout this world. Yeah, it speaks of the love of Christ. Yes, and the and the change He makes. I can't believe we're almost out of time for this program. So, gentlemen, Jesus Christ, His first advent, He comes to this world and He makes a difference. Uh, closing remarks as we uh, bring our program to a close on this uh, Saturday right before Christmas. No, I just say, you know, you, you read the Joy to the World and it talked about the curse. And what was the curse? The curse is sin. And the curse of sin just really touches every one of us because we're all sinners. Yeah. And, and Christ came to die for sinners. Mm. And that's, that's the key. His incarnation was so that he could be a sacrifice for that sin and make these men who were dead in trespasses of sin alive and children of God. Amen. When we talk about uh, you know this whole topic of, of Christmas, um, the medieval um, church Advent as well as Lent was a time for penitence. It was a mm-hmm. time for examination and repentance. Um, and in the um, Primer, which is a, a medieval worship book for, for individual mm-hmm. use for individual devotions. There are seven psalms that were assigned that you were to read each of the each one for each day of the week during Advent, mm. and they are all penitential psalms. Yeah. And I think that's a recognition of, of exactly what Mark said that um, Christ comes into the world not just so that we can have a nice party in December, um, but He comes into the world because we are in desperate need of a Savior, mm. and He is that Savior. He is the only one who can redeem us Amen. from sin. Well, fellas, that's a great way to close our time today here on A Plain Answer. And uh, we wish all of you a very Merry Christmas as you celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me today has been the Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York, and Dr. Hans Vogt, associate professor of Ulster County Community College. May the Lord richly bless you today as you look forward to this coming Christmas, uh, less than a week from today. God bless you, and have a great day. Wonders of his love and wonders, wonders of